and welcome to the Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, Great Pulsating Threads. Once again, The Long Road find themselves united in voice, being in the same building at the same time, taking the chance to talk about the threads that join all of our music together. Kev Moore brings thoughts from the trail as he takes us through a tough day on his Camino trek, and Steve Bonham shares tales from Off Interstate 25 in part two of The Angel, The Kid and The Ghost Town, uh, and The Bishop, that's me, I talk comfort food. The Vagabond Way podcast featuring The Long Road is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich and it's real. And if those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. I am Chris the Bish Leiden. Thanks for joining us for another slice of the rock and roll lifestyle that is The Long Road. This is the penultimate episode of this series, episode 47. This is next week's being episode 48. Uh, we'll be out on Christmas Day, uh, and then we'll have a couple of weeks off to recharge hearts and brains. Uh, we've got lots planned for 2021, uh, and we're looking forward to kicking things off in the new year. Uh, just before the main hashtag content of the show, a quick reminder, the uh, next episode of the Transatlantic Connection show is now out. And if you need a reminder as to why music is important or significant, please do watch this week's show. The guests are Mark Mandeville and Rayanne Richards. This is part two of their chat with Steve Bonham. Uh, and they're just brilliant. They talk so eloquently and touchingly about why they do what they do uh, and what they want to achieve. And they perform some beautiful, beautiful music on the show. So do go and check it out. Head to youtube.com slash The Vagabond Way or search for The Transatlantic Connection Show on YouTube. Um, anyway, on with today's show. Once again, Steve Bonham, Kev Moore and I found ourselves in the same building, uh, actually back at Woodworm Studios mixing our recently recorded material, so we took the chance to record another podcast entry. Now, some weeks, listeners, uh, I'll protect you from some of our nonsense, uh, and some weeks, dear listeners, I will subject you to some of our nonsense. Uh, last week, I subjected you to some nonsense. This week, you are blessed, for I have excised a, a healthy two or three minutes of utter utter nonsense that we spouted upon my pressing record. Um, at least two made-up words, one high-pitched exclamation that was too much for the mic to handle, um, a brief digression into peanut butter and jelly territory, uh, and then my accusation that I was being gaslit by my dear pals, as my nickname, the Bishop, seemed to have been summarily bumped off and I was now the Governor, um, whilst Steve continued to search for made-up words on Google. You know, you guys carry on, I'll just look this up. Quite the journey to listen back to, I can tell you. Anyway, excised that section was. Um, we joined the chat once we'd recovered ourselves a little, uh, and we got down to the discussion point at hand. Over to me. activity from the long road we've just finished recording and mixing some new material which is going to be out spring 2021 we had a, a, a big day yesterday of mixing the songs we recorded them a couple weeks ago we came back here at woodworm studios our favorite place uh, to, for recording we spent yesterday mixing them which is a, a you know a challenge in itself because there's you spent so much energy putting your stuff into the songs and recording them and thinking about all the bits and bobs mm. and then you've got to come back to it and listen to it all and decide 
a is it is it right and then how is it all going to sit sit together so it's quite a and indeed remembering drink. what you've put down because there's, there's quite a lot of parts and we counted didn't we have oh six, something 60 like 60 or 80 parts something like 60, yeah, 60 or 80 individual yeah. parts not even sort of takes I do find it nice to, to, to take a little time away and then then come back to do it because you have fresh ears and, yeah. and it, I think it helps because you know you're not as tired from all the recording so you can come in and, and dedicate that day to, to the mixes and, and I think it's helped I, th I think it's I think it's vital for it because yeah. You get so close up to it in the recording process. A bit, or, a bit of time away, come back to it. I mean, you guys listen to the tracks on the drive home after you've done recordings, and I don't. I always have a bit more time away from them. <laughs> but I think the thing that we that we spot in the sometimes it happens in the process of recording. Sometimes it happens in that gap between recording and mixing, uh, and sometimes things reveal themselves in the mixing process. There's these the threads that link the songs together, and certainly in the four or well the, the five we recorded just now. Um, there are these pulsating threads between them that very, in my head, in my ears, very strongly link them together. And yeah. they're, they're, weirdly, the new ones, they come in sort of pairs. So down at the crossroads, down here at the crossroads, whatever we're going to end up calling it, and something's got to change. It seems to be sort of two sides of the same coin. There's so many links there in the sound world. and the, some, yeah. of it, some of it comes down to instrumentation, the fact that they both use a drum kit and a certain sort of sound world lots of vocal harmonies and then the other two gentler ones i suppose the um, strange motel and uh, oh, what were you calling it yesterday <laughs> sad cafe sad yeah. cafe you called it yesterday yeah. uh, strange <clears throat> motel and um washed away. Uh, washed away yes yeah. and they both have a sort of i don't know a, a, a gentler feel a gentler feel to them and this overt new orleans um, there's some jazz vibes going yeah, on. Yeah, there's some, there's some jazzness to him. Mm. Some of the threads come really clear to me when we, before we even start recording, when I first, you know, Steve does a demo and I hear it and I go, yes, that song leads to this song. Some of the links don't come until later on, like the, one of the links with the American Wilderness stuff in... Um, Ballad is quite, uh, is, is very sort of linked to the likes of the Crossroads thing. I think uh, something got to change is is kind of a cousin to canyons as well yeah it's got that kind of we seem to have a we've developed a, our style is developing all the time i think and, and we are um i think we've all been saying that we were coming into this session uh the other week kind of knowing how the stuff was going to sound which we never really had before we really had no idea what we were yeah. going to sound like before and if you take the kind of vibe of canyons and something other changes they're very pulsating, hypnotic verses, almost monotone, mm. and then they break out into like yeah. quite really catchy choruses, and then pull back down into that kind of verse. And I like that; it's nice contrast. Yeah. I think we're getting very good at the light and shade. In, in things and, like and things like the thread that links, going back even further in our catalogue, mm. um, "Girl with a Rattlesnake Heart" from. 2018, it must have been, I suppose. That some of the sounds we started to develop in there, yeah. then throughout the American Wilderness, well, we're calling it now the American Wilderness, wilderness Odyssey, yeah. um, the, the whole 15-song cycle that we did from the end of 2019, and it'll actually be to the very start of 2021 in the end. Yeah. So the threads from Rattlesnake through songs like Canyons mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Ballad, even some of the... Things like Silver Moon, Silver Girl, very New Orleans influence, yeah. And then stretching that forward into the stuff we've just done, 
you can absolutely see the, the, the musical links with Neptune and everything. But perhaps, we always go back to Rattlesnake as one of those sort of core ones from back in the day. Yeah. Because um, it sort of... It, it had a rawness to it. Almost outrageously simple song. Yeah. In terms of what was on it. You know, barely chords. You know, barely chords. Riffs. Riffs, yeah. And very riffy, and, yeah. and it grew with vocals and a sound world, mm. um, which we then, we did loads more of in the American Wilderness stuff. And then we're taking somewhere else with this with this new stuff. Mm. And I, I love those, I love being able to plot those threads between things. It's like a, a chef, isn't it? You know, you know which ingredients you have and which you're kind of not so familiar with. And, you know, I think it's really nice if I look at some of them, you know, they, we start with the same sorts of ingredients, but quite often develop new songs. But it's not just the music, isn't it? It's the lyrics, you know, I think there's... A lot of our songs are about place, mm. yeah, and yeah. and they're also about kind of the emotional psychological reaction you have to a place, mm. and uh, and sometimes some of the themes around that you know that to me rattlesnake itself the girl with rattlesnake heart that was very much about a place you know it's the the thing you see in the movies by the Coen yeah. brothers you yes. know it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. and it's the uh, it's the it's it's the threat, you know. The uh, thing that really struck me about parts of America, you live with a, 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 an environmental threat mm. all the time. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can, it's not like being in nice old leafy Oxfordshire where we are now. We're not sitting here wondering when a tornado is going to sweep through no. or, or a flood yeah. or a fire. Yeah. And, you know, vast parts of America live with that sense of psychological threat in the background. Yeah, and, true, then, yeah. and also, what happens to the people who live like that? That was you really know? brought home to me when, when I was in Little Rock. I, I was playing with a, uh, a harp player, a um, harmonica player called Patrick Jawbone Kenyon. <laughs> and he, him and his wife had this little duo, you know. And they, were, and, and they regularly had their home wreck because they lived in bloody tornado alley you know yeah. it's like and, and it, but it's like a day-to-day -day threat that they just live with and that really freaked me out you know to think that that they live with the th thought that that could happen mm -hmm. you know at a particular time in the year at mm -hmm. any day any day yeah and that's like that's quite scary you know I mean, it's going to inform their their music and their thoughts hasn't yeah. it? You know? and i think i've got that kind of image it's almost like this huge landscape it's mm -hmm. so huge that you know we're all we all look little on it. We all look kind of vulnerable, and yeah. in, and down here in our little worlds, we're all being really mean or really lovely to each other. Yeah, this great thing thing <laughs> can say, well, I don't really care about your story. I'm gonna wash you yes, away. You know, it's, it's so yeah, irrelevant. You know, yeah. and I think I think the imagery in the in the lyrics informs a lot of the music as well. It certainly does. When when you send me a lyric, I, I it. It helps me formulate what I'm going to play, what kind of mood it, I'll, I'll give it. The imagery thing has been such a strong thing for me, right from when we first started collaborating on things with Rattlesnake and Reliance back then. And, and those two albums were a mix of mostly originals and a few covers. Um, but even some of the, like one, I mean, cover, it's a sort of traditional song, Wayfarer and Stranger. The world created in that yeah. linked to Rattlesnake, which links to Ballad, which links to Canyons, which links to this new stuff. Yeah. It, it's that. And it's that sort That's of world the thread, that we, isn't it? In that world is the yeah. thread. It's almost like you know yeah. we're creating a sort of the like you've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got yeah. the long road mu mu musical, musical universe. universe. Yeah, yeah. And the 
we sort of peek our way into these little vignettes or scenes or yeah. you know little movies yeah. uh, poke our head and, and, have, a, and have, a, have a look round I think I do have this huge sense that you know a place has a soul it, it, it kind of draws you in it's, it's not just the people and the stories it's something deeper it's something fundamental that when you get to the place yeah. you, you, you're in it in a way that's not just physically in it told you the story of Paula Angelo, who was hung in Las Vegas in New Mexico after killing her lover, a trooper at Fort Union nearby. I told you how I had met Leroy, the old French trapper, and Joe, who was Billy the Kid's third cousin, and that they had told me about Paula Angelo's hometown, now a ghost town called Loma Parada. Once it had been a wild place of casinos and saloons and bars with soldiers who would go for recreation and relief. Wild enough to attract the likes of James Lafer, murderer and wild man, who picked up a New Mexican woman in the street, placed her across his horse in front of him and rode into the saloon, making the bartender set up drinks for the whole party. And because his horse would not drink, he shot it in the head lifted the woman from the saddle before the horse fell and walked out with the horse dead on the floor. And here I was now, driving out along the Interstate 25 at sunset to see what remained of those times. This was America distilled into long, endless plains in which cattle and horses grazed and the odd homestead clung to the landscape for rescue. After a while I turned off the highway and drove four miles along a narrow, beat-up road, before seeing an old sign for Loma Parada on the right. So I turned off again for several more single-track dirt miles, until there was the remains, yellow in the low sun, of Loma Parada. Stopping, I got out of the vehicle and walked to what was left of it. A herd of bison grazed in the field nearby one or two drinking from Silver Stream, sparkling under a bridge. The buildings that remained were in a very poor state. Many roofless, walls collapsed, windows standing like remote eyes without a body. What presumably had been the main street ran up a slight incline to turn left and right to nowhere. I tried to imagine the 24-7 wild living days that once echoed down the streets, the out-of-tune piano in the bar, raised voices, drunken songs, the shrill laughter of a woman pretending that the joke was funny, gunshot, the winning of a horse, the stutter of a wheel on a rocky road. But such imaginings vanished like a mist on a hot day. At the very real and present noise, I could hear of children playing. I looked up and around to see and a little way off from the start of the main street was a ramshackle collection of buildings in which two or three station wagons had parked outside. And to my surprise, down the street came a quad bike driven by a young boy about ten with a beautiful, slim woman hanging on the back, laughing. 
They pulled up beside me. You must be lost, the woman said, smiling. If you're around here, you certainly are lost. I explained my story. Well, there's plenty of ghosts about, she said, but my fiancé's father lives here as well. He's 87 and he knows everything. His family have lived here forever. You must go and see him. My English reserve kicked in. I said I couldn't possibly trouble him. But she looked at me with her big brown eyes, laughed and said, He doesn't get to meet many people. He'll love telling you his story. So I went to meet Ben C. DeBacca. I couldn't help noticing as I walked up the rickety path to his door that his dwelling seemed to be a collection of sheds, kind of fixed together in an arbitrary way, and that every door was locked with padlocks and bolts. There were more than several keep-out signs. Ben opened the door some time after I had knocked. He was a small man, tough-looking, wearing a sleeveless vest, a padded waistcoat and a blue baseball hat. I explained my purpose. Well, I'd be pleased to tell you something of this place, he said, and showed me into one of the sheds, which, judging by the videos lined up on the wooden shelves above and the wooden chair facing a screen, served as his lounge. You wait there. He fetched a large pile of papers that turned out to be a collection of articles about Loma Parada and its vivid past. Just glancing at them, I could see a hundred movies waiting to be released from these pages, thousands of stories to be told, and who knows how many songs to be written. It was like being handed a seam of gold, but one that I would surely have to give back. Asking his permission, I quickly took as many photographs as possible. But it seemed rude to be sitting there, ignoring him. So reluctantly I stopped and turned and asked his story. His family had been here from the beginning, from before the soldiers came. But with the building of Fort Union, the Debackers seized the moment. His ancestor, Julian Debacker, had owned the gambling house, the bar and the saloon. Another relative had run the taxi service, a buggy that ran from here to Fort Union 24 hours a day. Along with the Debackers, the McMartins had also a hotel and the corral. Unfortunately, he didn't know that much about Paula Angelo, but agreed that, given the times and the circumstances, the story of her being here sounded true. But then it was his own story that captured me. He told me that when Fort Union was abandoned, the economy of the little town collapsed, until the local people were granted about 1,800 acres of land where they had planted and grown fruit trees. I remember the days when I was a kid, Ben said. The whole valley was full of fruit trees and everyone had a lovely garden. But then they cheated us. They figured large in Ben's cosmos, the faceless power-hungry figures that make up the federal government and the state against which the individual must spend a life in conflict. They, in this case, was a guy called Sanchez and the local doctor, Dr Brown, who persuaded locals to sign a document confirming the legal arrangement for the land. A document which, in fact, 
confirmed exactly the opposite. The locals, able neither to read nor write, had been duped and broken without land. The town died. Ben, who had been away, serving in the military and then working in Denver, returned in the twilight of his life to find the place devastated. They even threw the gravestones from the church into the river, he said. Ben had taken on the they, bit by bit, despite his advanced years. He had built himself a cabin with his grandson, and now members of his family increasingly looked to build themselves places around him. He had forced the state government to recreate the road along which I had recently driven. So he remained, the last man standing in Loma Parada, the defiant remnant of another age. As I drove away back to the Interstate 25, a hawk circled over the road. In the pirate town of Vegas Which had summoned all the good folks There to follow like the Magus I was weary of my new friend's wine The days were going slow I thought that I might cut and run To the state of New Mexico The shadow of a crow The tumbleweeds alive Focus sweeping low On the Rises like the wolf to howl on the desert's edge The lion she calls on all below to take the ancient pledge The whiptail thinks and waits under a shade of a fiery stone The roadrunner stops to catch his breath on trail of Al Capone The shadow of a crow, the tumbleweeds alive The hawk is sweeping low on the
again and welcome to Kev's Cafe Corner. I'll be continuing my journal readings this week from my Camino from Santander to Santiago de Compostela uh, that I took in October. And uh, we've reached Monday, October the 5th. My first full day alone was blessed with good weather and I set off rested with a spring in my step. My aim was to split the day's walk into two main parts from Comillas to San Vicente de la Barquera, and then on to Unquera for the night. So initially, I was looking at 12.5 kilometres. Some of the scenery was stunning. The fierce Atlantic tides have clearly created all these wonderful inlets and estuaries over the millennia, and they give up their delights as you cover the miles. San Vicente was a beautiful town on one such estuary. The sky was blue, the sun shining, and I enjoyed a wonderful three-course meal at a fab open-air restaurant by the quayside that I reached by crossing a lovely old bridge across the estuary. Then it was on to the second 12.5 kilometres. It was getting tough, and although my feet have given me no trouble at all, the straps on my shoulders were starting to cause some distress. But lunch and the lovely town had revived me somewhat, and I pressed on. There were a few tough climbs, though I had no idea what awaited me the next day. And I guess it was approaching 6.30pm when I sat down by the river in Unkera. There was a campsite about a kilometre out of my way, but I didn't want to risk a long round trip, not knowing if it would be open or not. So I hoisted my rucksack on and crossed the river. A sign for the Camino decided me, and I began an arduous trek uphill along a beautifully paved way. I saw an old lady gazing out over her family's land as darkness began to fall. And some 50 metres after this encounter, and higher still, I found a small, even piece of greenery at the side of the Camino. There was even a water tap. My mind was made up. This was my spot. And so, working against the dying light, I pitched my little tent and made camp for the night. I've never felt richer or more at peace. I, alone in a wilderness, with a thin bit of fabric between me and the elements, and I felt like king of the world. It's strange how just the mere provision of a, of a simple water tap next to where you're camping makes you feel like you, you have an ensuite bathroom, and it really does make a big difference. You can make a cup of tea, you can wash yourself in the morning. And uh, that was really the, the clincher for me that I was going to pitch there. Tuesday. October the 6th, no question, this was the toughest day so far. I awoke to gentle rain on the canvas and resolved to wait it out. Truth be known, I'd slept intermittently and not well. The sleep of exhaustion is not a contented one. When I did emerge, the sun greeted me once more and it breathed life back into my weary bones. There is something about the morning routine of a traveller that acts as a sort of ritual focusing your mind yet preparing it for the, the openness of your day's experience to come. It took a long while to do my ablutions and prepare the rucksack and properly stow the tent, but it was a pleasurable task. I set off, continuing up the path, the gradient increasing. I knew within 10 minutes I was going to struggle. I decided to do a couple of hours and have an early lunch in El Parel around 12.30. Even that proved impossible without a rest at the top of that part of the trail. As I was sat readjusting my rucksack, 
a 30-something guy walked past and cheerily wished me, Buen Camino. It might not seem like much, but it's these things that spur you on when you need them, like my tent spot with the water. It's what a fellow walker describes as road magic, and it is, and it's real. I made it down to El Paral and ate a hearty lunch of egg, porks and chips, with a rice pudding to follow. I took my time and got ready for the next bit. I wasn't quite sure where I was going to end up at this point, but I set off anyway. The trail was incredibly beautiful, but very tough. Some of the hills up and down were a killer. The views and constant surprises sustained me. You seem to literally draw on nature itself for your strength. You may be flagging, but an unexpected sight of the majestic crashing surf of the Atlantic Ocean lifts you up for no other reason than it's simply beautiful. I arrived somewhere, I don't recall the name exactly, but I made a stop and a coffee, setting up my stove by the roadside. I drank some of the water too. I was thirsty. I was careful to leave enough for another cupful. I checked accommodation on my phone and found reasonable rates at a hostel in Ilanes. But Ilanes was 20 kilometres away and the day was escaping me. I booked it and set off. That next leg was an endurance test like no other. I've experienced nothing like it. A beautiful, meandering way through forests and over hills, too numerous to count. And there was one place with not 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 one place with a seat or a stone or water to drink. I was struggling. I once more emerged by the Atlantic to the site of a blowhole, firing water up from the rocks below, loud and satanic. It was like a primeval warning. I used the last of my water with an isotonic tablet to help push me on. The hills I encountered after that severely tested my body and spirit. The last endless section especially as I rose to the very highest point where I could see Linus in the distance. I was conversely at my lowest, literally chanting out loud to myself, one foot in front of the other, one foot. And imagining all those pilgrims through history had done the same. If they could do it, so could I. I reached the top, the very top. Suddenly there was a bench and a table. It felt like I'd won the lottery. I sat and did a piece to camera for Facebook because I felt it was important to show both sides of this journey. I was severely dehydrated at this point and was desperate for water. The light was fading too and I was in the middle of nowhere. Eventually, the path mercifully headed downwards and I turned towards Linus. As I entered the outskirts of the town, darkness fell. I found a supermarket and watched like a madman as a machine made me a litre of freshly squeezed orange juice. I drank it immediately, followed by the water and one banana. I knew then that I'd make the 15-minute walk to the hostel. And in one of those moments of road magic... I had the entire town to myself. As I approached the hostel, I saw the lights were on and opened the door and greeted the man on the reception. You're late, he said.
Daily Bread. It's some short, rambling thoughts, really, on the topic of comfort food. Uh, Now, someone I follow on Twitter, who I I don't know, um, other than a couple of brief interactions over the months via Twitter, um, they shared one of their memories of student life and comfort food, slash easy-to-prepare meals, uh, and it just clicked so much with me, I just had to recreate it. Well, actually, for me, it was the first time having this particular combination, but I knew it would resonate. Uh, Now, some of you will balk, I know, but for some of you, this will click as well. So... Chicken super noodles and fish fingers. I know, I know. Um, This Twitter person called it brain food. Um, I call it bloody delicious. Now, both components, very strong elements from my childhood. Fish fingers being, along with tinned tuna, the only sort of fish I'd contemplate, even enjoy. Um, And chicken super noodles were, for a time, the be-all and end-all of mealtime treats. There were never enough noodles for my liking. I was always very keen to scrape the dish out of the very last remnants of the sauce. Now, this bowl of noodles and fish fingers is not exactly haute cuisine, but it was pushing my buttons, uh, a meal reeking deliciously of nostalgia and heaped with the notion of comfort. To me, anyway. Um, Nigella Lawson actually said on her TV show just this very week, Comfort food doesn't have to be bland, or words to that effect. Um, And this almost took me by surprise. Are there people out there that think that comfort food has to be bland to be comforting? I agree wholeheartedly with Nigella. In fact, I'd say comfort food is nearly always interesting in some fashion. Perhaps normally the taste is interesting, sometimes the texture, perhaps appearance, sometimes all three. Uh, And it got me thinking, uh, as a fan of food, comfort and otherwise, um, about the similarities between enjoying food and enjoying music. Sometimes you want something comforting and enveloping, an old favourite, something nostalgic. You know, Christmas time right now is full of this sensation, musically and gustatorially. Old favourites from the speakers, old favourites from fridges and ovens across the land. Sometimes you want something a bit more provocative and spicy, something new, something exciting, something that might surprise you, something that might cause you to question a firmly held belief. Sometimes you want something in the middle, something with comforting tones, but some spice in the background. And and that's it, really, my thoughts for this episode. The two loves of my life, music and food. Uh, And perhaps it's no wonder, as they share, in my view, many of the same strands. Now, fear not, eagle-eared listeners. Last week I said I was off to investigate bagels. Uh, Now, plans are afoot, but nothing worth sharing yet. Um, But I've made a note, and bagels will appear in 2021, I assure you. that's it for this week thanks for listening wherever in the world you are don't forget to subscribe to the podcast we're on apple podcasts soundcloud spotify amazon podcasts the next episode will be out next friday join us on youtube for the transatlantic connection show and become part of the transatlantic connection movement head to youtube.com slash the vagabond way all of our music is available on bandcamp where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry download streaming vinyl cds it's all there the vagabond We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout-out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. 
Patreon is a great platform that makes it super easy for anyone out there, you, to support content that you love on a monthly basis. It gives you direct access to the people creating the stuff you love, us, hopefully, and you get to play an integral part in shaping the direction of the things that we make. So, become a Vagabonder. That's our name for our supporters on Patreon to help us create music, live performances, books and short stories, this weekly podcast, our YouTube show, and some new things that we're cooking up. As a Vagabonder, you can get the recordings and books we make for free, receive exclusive Patreon-only merchandise in the post, get regular behind-the-scenes updates from us, unlock access to exclusive livestream performances and Q&As, and lots more. You can help us create something different, something that entertains, and something that inspires others. So, join us on the journey and release The Vagabond within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds, and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige. It's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now. (laughs) 